0: Welcome to the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport for another week of our Wednesday Bible study. Uh, excited to continue in our series today. You know we started a new series last week uh, in 1 Peter, so if you will go ahead and get your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we do have a, a good bit to cover today. So I'm going to dive right in with very few announcements, but I will say this: uh, at uh, you know themanchurch.com, the men's discipleship strategy. You know we we've kicked that off. Um, if you have not made a plan for your church or your your community group, and you'd love a, a men's discipleship strategy, we can help you. I know a lot of you're making those decisions right now for what you're going to do in 2021. We have a 40 week curriculum. We've got a design for for gatherings of men. We have resources for individual men. We can help you. Would love to help you to be an advocate for your men's ministry. If you want a game plan, we got one. Uh, TheManChurch.com. Make a note of these cities. Um, uh, Panama City, Florida, Jacksonville, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Douglas, Georgia, uh, Avon, Indiana, and Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, we're doing uh, the ManChurch.com gatherings of men and implementing our strategy in all these cities over the next six weeks. If you'd like to attend the gathering at, at any of these locations, just go to burgessministries.com, and you'll see events, and they're all listed there. Some are ticketed, some are free. You can find out the situation if you'd like to attend those. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and let's jump right into our Bible study. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for how your word, is, it, it, is, it is your revelation about yourself. It's your revelation uh, about us. And everything we need to know about whatever season of life that we may be in, we can find it in your perfect word. Help us, Lord, to take away today what you intend, not only uh, as a group spending time in your word, but as individuals, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. If you remember uh, last week, this is our second session on First Peter. Last week we ended uh, in verse twelve. We're going to pick up in verse thirteen today and work our way through verse twenty-five. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, let's let's look in verse thirteen. Therefore, uh, uh, Peter is telling us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and I want you to underline action and being sober-minded, under, under, underline sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you if you break down what he's talking about in verse 13, you, you can take these next 10 verses, and you almost can take all these subtitles and, and put it on these. And, and when, we go, when we go verse 13, I want you to take the subtitle, and think in your mind, the glory of God. The glory of God. Because this is what Peter is trying to remind us. Remember, and and I know that uh, all over this country and around the world and in individual lives, we're all facing, you know, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or a trial is coming. And Peter is writing, as we know, to Christians who are under persecution uh, from Nero, and they've all been scattered. And so what he's trying to do with this letter is to remind them of the hope that we have because of our redemption. The hope that we have. So he's reminding them uh, right out of the gate of the glory of God. Believers need to remember that we have been called to a, a, a life that is not very popular. You know, speaking from experience with my own fallen part of, of my being, you know, as we know, even if you've been redeemed, your spirit's been made alive, but that flesh is still bent on sin. So there's a battle that goes on, and, and the flesh wants no part of a holy life the spirit because it's now has God's seed abiding in it, the spirit demands it. So the spirit demands a holy life and the flesh is bent against it. thus is the battle that is us. And so uh, Paul I mean Peter takes this on pretty clearly in some very unpopular words that are coming up. so let's break down what he's saying first. prepare your minds for action. This you'll see a lot of times if you read any commentary on this, You'll see this Greek word that it has there for for action is the same Greek word that that really in the times that Peter is writing to, he would have said, therefore, preparing uh, your minds for action. He would have said, therefore, girding up your loins of your mind. The girding up of loins was a very popular uh, phrase that, that, that that were used during this time because it was a visual of the way that that people dress. You know, if you got ready to take a long journey, or you got ready to go to battle, you know, even men would wear these long, flowing because of the heat. You know, you see even Jesus depicted and and the disciples in these long, flowing one-piece. Um, pieces of of, of garment, so if they were going to go on a long trip, obviously this hanging around your legs could be cumbersome, so they would actually take their their robe and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into their belt, freeing up their legs for more movement. And if you were going to battle, you absolutely girded up your loins because you didn't want to trip over these flowing garments, and then of course that could lead to your death. So I want you to think about this. What he's saying to these people is, gird up your loins and get ready for action you got to be ready to go to work. It's time for work. It's time for travel on a journey. Uh, there is no room if you're going to pursue what he's going to call for next, this holy life. You better prepare yourself for the call of God, remembering the glory of God. We're going to find out. He's going to say this call to holiness is because that's who God is. He can't help but be holy. So you better prepare your mind for that. You better gird up the loins of your mind. You better have clear thinking, no slackness, no looseness, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, there, there There is a brand new focus. So he says, prepare your mind, gird the loins of your mind for action. What does he mean by being sober-minded? Now, of course, we see the easy, well, to not be sober is to be drunk. Right. Well, that, that connotation is certainly there. We, we certainly can't do what we're called to do if we spend our time being under the influences of of drugs and alcohol, but he's really talking even beyond that, that we can't have any uncertainty in our clarity of thought. We don't need anything. And, And remember, one of the things the adversary does against us that is unfortunately very, very effective is even if he can just get us not to take action, he doesn't even need us to rebel if we just won't do anything. If he can get us to be stymied, you know, you think about what we've been going through with this this pandemic and all this free time that we've been given. And, and you know, so, and there's been people that have been, you know, they, there's people that have been out of work. There's been people, their business has been closed. Their routine's been turned upside down. Uh, we had all these travel plans. I told you Sherry had all these travel plans. I had all these plans that I was going to be out doing all these things that, praise the Lord, it's starting to happen now. But we thought this ManChurch.com thing and, and this tour was going to be back in, in the spring. And God took those plans and he wadded them up. Well, one of the things that, uh, that that happened during that time is my wife and I spent time together that we, we didn't think we would have. God said we needed to work on our relationship. Sherry and I didn't think we needed to. Another thing God said is, "I need you in the Word more." Uh, this time you don't have to study the Word; you got it now. So, so dig in. Let me take you to another place. So I prepared my mind that when there was a pivot in my life, a pivot, I prepared my mind to say, "Well, God, what are you what are you teaching me?" Because I got news for you, whatever situation you're in, God allowed it. Now it might be your actions may have caused some things. Certainly, that that's one of the ways you can end up. But we're serving a sovereign God, and I promise you, the situation that these Christians were in that Peter's writing to, and the situation you're in, and the situation I'm in, it hasn't caught God off guard. So, do you have your mind prepared for action? Have you girded up the loins of your mind, and you're ready to go, and ready to learn, and ready to do? whatever it is God is intending you to do. Don't waste. The worst thing you can do is to take a situation that you're in and waste it. Find out what God is trying to teach, and that's what Peter is telling them. Be sober-minded. Don't let anything come into your mind that clouds it. Uh, you know, be careful what you allow in your mind. Be careful how you think, because now as a redeemed follower of Jesus, Peter says we now have a new focus on life, and then here it comes. So we go to verse 14, and, um, and, and, he, and he says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, so, so he, he's now talking about, what's the next subtitle? You said the glory of God in 13. Now in 14 and on into 15, what are we going to talk about? The holiness of God. Here, here's what he says. He says, we are to be obedient children. That means God is our father. And we need to be obedient children. And you know what? He's saying willful disobedience is now over. And you say, well, what does he mean by what do you mean willful disobedience? I'll tell you why. He's going to tell you. Your former ignorance. Your former ignorance. Oh, wait a minute. So now I've been redeemed. And he's telling these Christians, so now you know the full story of God. You know that he came to us and we couldn't come to him. You didn't know that before you know that Jesus is who we've been looking for to redeem us. You know that now. And, and, and now that Jesus has acted as he's going to intercede on behalf of us back to our Holy Father. Now, Jesus has said, no more ignorance. I now usher you back into the presence of a holy God. You've now been redeemed. I brought you back into his presence you're now getting to know things about God you didn't know before because of this intimate relationship through the Son back to the Father. So let me tell you what you can't say anymore, that you're ignorant. Now you know. So so if we now know who God is and we now understand, especially those of us that even are beyond this, we've got his entire revelation from beginning to end. If we know and we claim that we've been redeemed and we belong to Jesus, I tell you what we can't say anymore, I didn't know any better. He said, that's your former ignorance. Now, if you you disobey your father, you'll disobey your father willfully. That's the thing I think, and you know, Scripture talks about this a lot, and and Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6 and other places in the Bible. It's one thing when we sin because we weren't redeemed. When when you look at, at unredeemed people, guess how unredeemed people act? They act unredeemed. But what is nauseating, and we hear analogies like a dog returning to his vomit, which Peter tells us about that as well. When we hear you know, phrases like this, now if we sin, we sin as free men and free women. That's different. Before, as Paul says in Romans 6, you were doulos, you were a bondservant to sin because you weren't redeemed. Yeah, you, 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 when you sin, you sinned as a slave under the slavery of of your flesh. But once that once God's seed, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 2, once God's seed comes into your spirit, and now that dead spirit comes alive, now the Holy Spirit, and, and what's its name again? What kind of spirit? Holy Spirit, some of my old school people watching, Holy Ghost. Well the name the name is holy. I mean it, it it's, it's descriptive holiness. Something that we don't like to talk about, especially in the new era of grace abuse, where we act like it doesn't really matter because, you know, God's going to be okay with us anyway. Of course, that's not scripture, but it sounds good. It's certainly more palatable. It's just not biblical. But so the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, God's seed comes into our spirit, makes it alive. And then what does the Bible tell us after that? What is Peter saying here? Well, you can't say you're ignorant anymore. There's been an awakening. Your spirit's alive now. If you return back to your sin now, your former ignorance, well, then you'll return back there of your own free will. You'll go back as a free person and you'll abuse God's grace. And so we, we can't do that. So he says, um, we know that God is our father. The Mosaic law, commandment five, comes with a promise, just as we were commanded to obey our earthly parents. Now, Peter is saying, you must now obey your heavenly parents, your heavenly father. And then he goes on to, to warn us about our former ignorance against indulgent, uh, indulgence. We don't fashion ourselves according to our former lust. You know, you can't say, I, I have this, this phrase that I use in my own life, and, I, and I'll have people in, in my circle of accountability that will, will will use this. There'll be times when I will say, I, well, now look, I'm not going to do that. Now, that's what old Rick would have done. You know, but new rig doesn't do that. And I'm, and I'm continuing to be formed to be more like my Lord and Savior because I've claimed to be one of his disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who does what Jesus says to do, and they say what Jesus says to say. A disciple is trying to become more like the one he follows. And so I can't say anymore that I now make my decisions based on my former self, my former ignorance. I now make my decisions based on the new self, which has been born again and has been given a new life in Jesus Christ. So we can't use those excuses anymore. If you haven't seen victory over the sins in your life, it's not because of Jesus' inability to give you that victory. That holiness is available to all of us. Sometimes we just don't want it. So here's a warning against ignorance. Worldly sinful behavior, now you know, now you know. Because think about that. Listen to what he says next. 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And boy, this is one of those places in the Bible where you wish you could change it. Listen to this. You shall, he says, you be holy in some of your conduct, all of your conduct. Wow. All of your conduct. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Hmm. Now we're talking about the Word of God in uh, verses 15 and and, uh, uh, more holiness in 15. As we get into 16, we're going to talk about this term as it is written. So we have to cultivate a new life, and that includes every aspect of our behavior, not just some of it. I'm looking, I'm reading it right here. It says all. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. okay? Let's, let's, let's just get real. If you were writing that line about your life and I was writing it about mine, I'm going to tell you just completely transparent, I would honestly have to write it holy in some of my conduct. If I was being completely honest. I have not achieved holy in all my conduct. But yet that's the call and Peter's making that very clear, that there isn't aversion other than all. Now, does that mean that that can be accomplished? Not by me, not by my new code of conduct, not by my best efforts of self-control, but can it be accomplished by my devotion to Jesus and my sanctification by by the the power of the Holy Spirit now defeating uh, the flesh that is still inside of me? And I will tell you this, every time I go flesh, I'm always wrong. That's why we got to start train ourselves to go with the Spirit, to not give in to the flesh. And that and how do we make the Spirit more powerful than the flesh? We feed it. Whichever one of these two things we feed, that's what wins. So when you feel yourself drifting, Rick, toward the flesh, stop. And now say, I'm going back to the spirit. Because I know that through my redemption, all power has been given to me not to give in to sin. Uh, That's the most misquoted. Uh, verses that we get from from Paul in his letter to Corinth, how people have taken what Paul was saying is there's no temptation so strong that God is not more powerful than that temptation. And then people have taken that uh, verse and completely misinterpreted You know, God never gives you more than you can handle. Well, yes, he does. Uh, because if that wasn't the case, then why do we need God? So everything in my life is within my power to, to handle? That's not true at all. That's not what these verses say. Now, what these verses are talking about is what Peter's talking about. There's a call to holiness in all your conduct, and if you are not achieving it, it's because you have not accessed the power that God's given you. You can't use as an excuse. That's the ignorance. That's your past self. You can't use your sin as an excuse. The temptation was just too strong. No. James tells us about this too, doesn't he? Now, most of you... It's not the devil that takes you into sin. It's not the demons that take you into sin. Most of us go to sin of our own free will. We decide to pick the flesh over the spirit because the call to holiness is there and it is attainable. It's just not many of us are willing or do we even want it? Do you want to be holy in all your conduct? Do you look at that as not being something desirable? There are just certain things in this world you'd rather not give up. But the call is all of your conduct. It isn't some of our conduct. And then he goes on to say why this call is there. He says, for since it is written. So now we've gone to the glory of God. We've talked about the holiness of God. And now we're talking about the word of God. So Peter says, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. Because the word of God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy, since it is written. The Word of God. I love this statement. This is a great statement that I, that I heard from, uh, from Warren Wearsby. He says, It is good to know the Word of God. That's a good thing. But this really, to know the Word of God, let me tell you what's even more important. It should help us better to know the God of the Word. I mean, it's okay, to, it's great to know the Word of God, but it ain't gonna do you any good if you don't know the God of the Word. You know, this goes back to J.J. Packard, knowing God. Uh, the, you know he died back on July seventeenth that knowing God book i 'm diving into it now. And he makes a great statement. A lot of people know about God, but that doesn 't mean you know God and and so if you 're going into the Word of God since it is written we 're really going in there not to learn this verse we're going and certainly that that 's helpful, but we can learn all the verses in the world in the world, but if we don 't know the God of the word, then it 's meaningless. You might as well be memorizing Dr. Seuss. Because there's power in getting to know the God of the word. And Peter says, since it is written, we shall be holy because he is holy. It's God's characteristic. There's nothing that we can do about it. We must cultivate this new life and we must, we must have it be, you know, picture us just being all, almost like a soldering gun. We're being burned into his character. He, he's, his seed is in our spirit and he makes us more like him. The Old Testament call to be holy can be found in many places, but you can find it in Leviticus 11.44, which is where Peter is coming from right now, and it says exactly what he said. Uh, you shall be holy, for I am holy, but you also will see the call to holiness throughout the New Testament as well. And that's the reason why I want us to understand, this call to holiness, and Peter clarifies this, this isn't just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept as well, which means... It's in the Bible's entire. Now the Old Testament dealt with cleanliness and, and what foods you should eat and all this and all this, and that certainly those things are not in play anymore. However, the concept of don't defile yourself" is still in play. We mean defile yourself. Well, you think it's not holy. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you watch with your eyes? What do you listen to with your ears? What, what, what do you allow around you? Well, it's right. You might you might be free to eat pork if you're a Gentile. You might be free to do that, but you're not free not to be holy. You you haven't been given a pass on holiness. Uh, We're not to defile ourselves, and the Bible is very clear about that. If you have uh, your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's uh, let's let's go to Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten. Turn over there, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, in the New Testament, dealing with holiness. Look at verse verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, uh, would uh, they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have uh, once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But listen to this. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure and sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings, are these offered according to the law? Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by the will we have been sanctified through the offering of who? The body of Jesus Christ once and for all. There was a time you had to keep doing these sacrifices over and over and over again. These were done by God and required by God in the Old Testament. Why? For us to be aware of sin, for us to be aware that we can't ever seem to overcome our sin problem without sacrifice, after sacrifice, after sacrifice. And then the writer of Hebrews says, well, let me tell you what happened in verse 10. All the offerings have now been sanctified through one offering, and that's the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what does that mean? If we're not to defile ourselves back during all the the ritualistic cleansings of, of forgiveness of sin, now that we look at the one and only Lamb of God, we are once and for all every day because of what he's done, we're called not to defile ourselves. that that is a call uh, to holiness. If you don't believe that, uh, take uh, Hebrews and continue let's go over to chapter 12 now and then of course this this verse in 14, which I hope that you have Thought about. I think about it every time holiness is discussed, and that is verse 14 in chapter 12 of Hebrews, and it says this Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hey, don't forget about holiness because without holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. Rick, do I have to be holy to step into the presence of God? Yes. Yes. Keep in mind, Jesus Christ now makes us holy. So if if you now claim that you've been made holy by Jesus Christ, but you don't live a holy life in all your conduct, what did it not take? Is, Is there part of Jesus that's not hitting on every cylinder? What part of Jesus did you somehow not get access to? We're not to defile ourselves. We're to be holy in all of our conduct. Not some of it. So th- this is not the Mosaic dietary restrictions. Jesus now makes us holy. Verse, uh, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who j- judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we've talked about in verse 13 the glory of God. We've talked about in, in, in 14 and 15, the holiness of God. Verse 16 says the word of God. Now Peter is going to shift in 17 and 18, and we're going to talk about the judgment of God. He said, let, let me tell you another motivating factor, the judgment of God. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, meaning nobody is going to strut into heaven, we are all equal All this talk about equality right now, I'm going to keep saying it over and over again, Wednesday after Wednesday, and day after day if I have to. If you want want true equality, it's at the foot of the cross. God the Father, he judges his children, and he has no partiality. Nobody's going to strut into heaven. The wealthy will bow down at the foot of the cross just like the poor. There's no ethnicity there. Uh, There's no superior race, inferior race. Uh, there's there's no uh, uh, statute. Uh, well, you know, I, I come from this family. You come from that family. There's no class status. True equality is at the foot of the cross. We're all standing in the judgment of God, equally condemned, without Jesus. And he says, so remember that. So conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's talking about you know you're being persecuted. You're being scattered. And I know that sometimes we may find ourselves saying, well, the situation I'm in right now, God understands if I kind of knock it out of gear right now. You know, he's saying, hey, you may be in exile. You may be under persecution. But if you think this gives you a pass not to live your life in fear of God, you'd be incorrect. He doesn't care whether you're in exile or whether you're having a great day. He doesn't care whether you're being persecuted or you're living the life of Riley. He doesn't care. Both those situations, we're to live our life in equal fear of the judgment of God. He does love us. Yes, he does. We, we, can, we can come to him because of Jesus, But he, and he is to be feared. He has no favorites. We should live in reverent fear. The character of the Father demands our sanctification. So First of all, what demands the sanctification? His character. It, it, it demands it. I mean, any of you who've ever been parents, you know what I'm talking about. And the writer of Hebrews, again, says what? That, that, that just as we discipline our children because we love, him, love them, you think God? God disciplines his children because he loves us too. It, many times my father's discipline has served me quite well. And he loved me enough to discipline me. You see the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I keep asking for this thorn in my flesh to be removed. I've asked him three times about it. And you know what he told me? No. And you know why he told me no? Paul doesn't leave us hanging to keep me from being conceited. Because Paul had become a pretty big deal. And he'd also seen a revelation about the third heaven that God told him to keep quiet about. And he said, I could become puffed up and conceited, but what my father has done, he loves me enough to say, no, you won't be conceited as long as I leave that thorn in your flesh and I let you to keep being harassed by the messenger from Satan. I'm not taking that away from you. And keep in mind, if you've ever been to 2 Corinthians, if you go to chapter eleven, about halfway through, Paul goes on a resume of suffering that'll make you feel like you got no problems. And you know what? God said, oh, yeah, I know about all that. I was involved in all that. That's kept, you, that's kept you from being conceited. And, oh, by the way, I know about all that, and I'm still not letting up. I'm still keeping a thorn in your flesh because if I don't, you'll become arrogant. And so you know what Paul says? I celebrate my weakness. I Bring on insults. Bring on calamities. Because when I am weak, God's strength is made perfect. I can can relate to that. I can relate to that. So Peter reminds them, don't ever forget to have a reverent fear of your father. Now now we move to another motivating factor. One motivating factor is it's the character of God, and and we need to be in fear of the judgment of God. So we've talked about the glory of God, the holiness of God, the judgment of God. Now picking up in 18 and rolling through 21, uh, we'll walk through the love of God. You know, see, I, I think so many times this is the mistake that I see many times as just a humble servant of Christ. I, I see this and it's going on, especially in, in our modern day American church. It's as if God has this resume and we take God's resume, which is several pages long, and we tear out one page, the love of God, and that's all we want to talk about. I just want to talk about this one characteristic of God. Now, to not talk about it is wrong. But to only talk about it is wrong as well. Peter doesn't immediately start with love of God, love, the love of God. No, he starts with the holiness of God, the fear of God, God's word. Then he gets to the love of God, which is important. But that's not God's only characteristic. It it is bad theology to only talk about the God's love. You've got to talk about his wrath too. You've got to talk about his holiness. You've got to talk about his judgment. You've got to talk about his Obedience. you got to talk about discipline. These are all part, parts of God's character. But we are thankful because we'd have no hope without his love as well, and Peter doesn't leave this out. Listen to what he says in 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Amen. The cross of Christ, the price of redemption, we were not ransomed with an insufficient offer. I love that. It, we don't need, now I know there's some bad theology out there. I call it my Jesus plus people. Well, Jesus isn't everything, it's Jesus plus something else. Now, if you want to say it's Jesus and then because of Jesus, There's a response, or there's fruit, and there's obedience that flows from Jesus. Hallelujah. That's biblically sound. But this thing that somehow it's Jesus plus something else, like like Jesus on the cross, it just wasn't sufficient. He had to do that plus something else to truly save you. That's bad theology. And Peter is talking about that. He said the cross of Christ paid the price of redemption. It was not cheap. But it was also not insufficient. Silver or gold, you couldn't buy it. Anything perishable can't buy redemption. Salvation is not for sale. Now, if you remember, uh, you, you go to Numbers 22 and, and you, you remember when uh, the Balak, who's the king of Moab, do you remember this? He's talking to Balaam. That's that's his prophet that for hire. You know, they would hire these people out and. They would they would come and they would thrill the kings with all these things they would do that was mystical and if you if you've gone to numbers 22 Balak brings in uh, this this prophet for hire and, and he keeps saying hey I, I got to ask you something can salvation be bought what, what can I do to buy salvation and even this guy who is wanting to tell the king anything he can because he's he's a flim-flam artist he tells the king it can't be done you can't buy it look look, look at Micah. Uh, chapter six and eight, uh, he tells him, "Hey, I got bad news for you, King of Moab. It can't be bought." Now, now, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we see another example of this in uh, in Acts chapter eight, dealing with Simon the magician. Acts chapter eight. Do you remember when Simon the magician is following Peter around? And I think the reason why Peter is using this analogy, I think, is from this moment. I think Peter is remembering this uh, in Acts chapter eight. So Peter the magician. Is following. Uh, I'm sorry, Simon the magician is following Peter around, and he offers Peter cash, and Peter denounced him on the spot. You can't buy salvation. Uh, if you have it, we'll look at it in Acts chapter eight, uh, because this. The, I really believe, and a lot of the commentaries thinks this too, that Peter is referencing this this analogy because he he saw it with Simon the magician. It says. Um, if you, uh, if you look at, I'll start in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him uh, from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, the evangelist, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs of great miracles performed, he was amazed." It said, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, and they, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they went there saying, Look, Philip was here. Y'all understood most of it. Let's clarify that y'all understand the gospel. Uh, y- y'all have not received the Holy Spirit Right now, you've been baptized with water. We want to talk to you about uh, whatever. It might have been repentance. It might have been confessing Jesus as Lord. They laid hands on him. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter, who's now writing to us, said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, 22, which means he must not have, even though he'd gotten baptized by water. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Yeah, Peter didn't take that real well. Uh, That Simon, the magician, said, I'd like to buy the Holy Spirit, please. How much would that cost? And Peter denounced that, and here he is in First Peter saying, "Your silver and your gold and the ways of your forefathers could not buy redemption. Uh, salvation is not for sale, um, and so it, it would it's it's um, there it, it's inadequate to try to do anything else." He continues, "But with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish on spot." Now look at verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So he goes on to talk about this this infinite offering that God has given us in Jesus, the perfect lamb without blemish. And you, if you if you know the Old Testament, that's the only lambs that could be used for the Passover. You could not have a lamb that had any blemish or any problem. So when you look at how Christ becoming the final Lamb of God. I've, I've talked to Jewish people before that watched how Christ was crucified, watched the process, the time frame, when it took place, and they knew what w- they were supposed to do for the Passover so that the angel of death, remember that, would pass by. All whose doorpost that had the blood of the perfect, unblemished Lamb, death would pass them by. That's how they recognized that Jesus really was Messiah. Because they said, you know what, he followed this process to the letter. He was emulating, I'm the final lamb, because he followed it so perfect. In verses 20 and 21, uh, we, we see the great news uh, from Peter that, that God was not taken by surprise by the fall of man. Even before the foundation of the world, he acted in creation and redemption. God already had a redemption plan, and he says, this is Jesus. He had had this plan in in place. The cross was not the end of the story. God was manifest in human form, paid for sin, was raised from the dead. And Peter, isn't this awesome? This is why you've got to love the Word of God. Peter was an eyewitness. He said, I saw it. I'm telling you, this took place. This is an eyewitness to these things. And we have access to God's Word, and I wonder why we treat it with so 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 little regard. I mean, it, the thing that makes me sick about this, and I think about old Rick too, but I'm telling you God's given me a love for this and I feel stupid that it's taken this long for me to have a love for it. It's the Word of God. I mean, can you most of us will fall all over ourselves to go out and get some book that was written by some celebrity, that we think is such a big deal. We'll fall all over ourselves. I can't wait for it. You mean he's written a book? Oh my gosh. My favorite coach, one of my earthly idols has written a book. I got to read every page of it. When's the last time you read the book that was authored by God? Eh. It's got some eyewitnesses in there to the resurrection. Eh. I don't know. I I have a hard time reading the Bible. But buddy, we're going to consume books by authors that we think a big deal. How can you think of any author that their book is more intriguing to you than the one that God wrote. See, when I start thinking about it like that, I feel like an idiot. I mean, I feel like an absolute idiot. So I, I, I can't get fired up about Peter saying by the way, God came to us; so we couldn't come to them. If this was the plan of foundation. I mean, uh, the plan of redemption before the foundation of the world. The cross was not the end. By the way, God was manifest in human form. He paid for your sin, Rick. He was raised from the dead, and I saw it. Oh, this guy's written a book. Eh? That's a really big deal. I mean, if, if we find out somebody had a near-death experience, we can't. We got to go out and consume their book as, as fast as we possibly can. Peter. He saw the resurrected Lord, and he's telling us about it. And for us not to lose hope, even on our worst day, while we believe that our faith and hope might be in God, Peter is saying to us, all has been fulfilled. Not faith in faith, I love this, but faith in God. We don't have faith in just our faith. We have faith in God. And I think there's a lot of people. This is where cultural Christianity comes from, that study that we did here in recent, our recent past. I think cultural Christianity comes from people that go around having faith in their faith. It's just kind of a, it's, it, you know, just like you'd have faith in a, a hobby or faith in a, a team or, you know, a celebrity or, you know, you know I know some of you are beside yourself that the Kardashians are in their final season. How will we survive? I hope they wrote some books. So this is what Peter is saying. He's saying this is a really big deal. Look at 22. Having purified your souls by obedience. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though he, though the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. Let's talk about verse 24 through 25. What's our subtitle on this one? The control of the spirit, a new pattern of life. By the way of cleansing, we have a purified soul. By the way of commitment, obeying the truth of the Spirit. Practical sancti- sanctification versus positional sanctification. Now, what does that mean? Rick? What, what is he talking about? Well, he says there's, there's practical and then there's positional, and I'll explain what those are. The, the, the positional sanctification is kind of what he talked about with the character of God. This means we're standing before God in Christ made perfect. So that's positional sanctification. It was done by Jesus. My position in Jesus now, now gives me a certain amount of sanctification just because of who he is. This is that thing we talk about. God's seed comes into our spirit, the Holy Spirit. So it's named holy. So when it comes into our spirit, there's positional sanctification. It gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything about it. Jesus did all this for us. So there's that type of sanctification. But then there's practical. And notice he mentions practical sanctification too, because this is where he's talking about um, that we have purified our souls by our obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now practical, this is that process that can get a little frustrating. Okay? And say with me, we're almost done. Practical. This is that stumble. I made a mistake. I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to live. I'm trying to now apply this to every part of my life. I'm working on being holy in all of my conduct like Peter talked about. I messed up today. I corrected it. I came under the conviction of the positional sanctification. The positional sanctification convicted me when my practical sanctification uh, was, well, did, didn't go well. I have stumbles, I make corrections, but now the practical is is I'm now correcting myself and I'm pursuing Christ and I'm seeking Christ, I'm getting in his word, I'm getting in prayer, I'm becoming connected to the true vine, that's, that's producing fruit in me, but the more that I fall in love with Jesus because I know him more, to know him is to love him, to love him is to obey him, now I'm taking practical steps to say no, I won't be part of that. Yes, I'd rather be involved in that. See, that didn't happen. I, that, that's me not earning any, anything. I'm growing. And then what does that do? It grows me into that positional sanctification that Jesus said I should have anyway. Does that make sense? That, that's positional sanctification versus practical sanctification. And that is what Peter is talking about in these last verses. And then he says, what else should we see? Not just a new life, but a new love. We should love the Lord's people fervently. He says that. Look, you, you, part of your obedience is this new kind of love. It's a pure love. What does that mean? I just love you because God told me to. I'm being obedient because, you know, He obviously deemed you of enough value that He would go to the cross for you. Who am I to deny you love that God didn't deny you? You know, and that doesn't mean that the the way people behave is okay. It doesn't mean that people aren't annoying. It doesn't mean that you disagree. But what he's saying is, especially within the church, he said, matter of fact, he said, the world's gonna know who my people are by the way y'all take care and love each other. And Peter says this is one of these things that, that you gotta remember, especially what when he's talking about this this persecution that they're under. It's a new principle of life. The power of God's word, the power of God's word declared. We've been born again. I love John Whitfield had a great line about this. He said, The word of God is incorruptible. It is the new life. The fall was due to a lack of completely understanding and applying God's word. The new life is in the word of God. It, 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 can, it can convicts, it affirms, it exhorts, as we see when uh, we see Paul talking to Timothy about this in his letters to Timothy before his death. And so all of this is being fleshed out in this new love that we have, that we learn from the Word of God, that we apply. Our problem is when we know the Word of God, and we know what it says, and we do the opposite. No, the Word of God is here designed to properly align us and say, this is how you live. So we don't know that if we don't know the Word of God. And then, of course, you see this part about all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This comes from Isaiah. Peter is going back to to what he knows very well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. He's saying this world is not permanent. There's change. There's decay everywhere. Here today, the saying, gone tomorrow. But the word of the Lord lives and abides imparting its own divine eternal life to god's newborn children you know what else he wants us to know you may not be here forever but the word of god will be forever it endures forever you're not going to stop this i'm holding up the word of god if you don't see the youtube if you're listening on the podcast just audio only There's there's been so many attempts to do away with this, and they're all failed. Did you know that we have more copies of the Word of God in the world right now than ever? Do you realize how many times it has been attempted to eradicate it off the face of the earth? And you can't do it. God's not going to have the Word of God eradicated. It will endure forever. Now, the world won't. That's what Isaiah was trying to say. If you're hanging on to the world, grass withers the most most, have you ever seen that before, that reminder, you see this flower that might bloom near your house, and you know, you get excited about it, and your wife may get excited about it. And I'm talking about there are times you'll look at a flower and you think to yourself, Wow, God, you are unbelievable. You know why I have learned I do something new with my wife? If she has a flower at our house, because she loves flowers, and 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 one is really miraculous, I will take my phone and take a picture of it on portrait. Why do I have to take a picture of it? Because it's not going to last. Sometimes it can be gone in two days. You'll go out there and it'll be brown and shriveled and you're like, well you went from magnificent to almost an eyesore. And what do you do? You'll take that rotted little bud and just kind of say, well that doesn't look good. One day it was making everything look better, now it makes everything look worse. That's God reminding us this this world is falling. He gives us glimpses. But this ain't heaven. And this is not going to endure forever. So if you're placing your hope in anything but God and his word, you're going to be very disappointed. So it better be placed somewhere else. You know, when we did the, the, the curriculum, the first one that we have, and we'll have another one next year, but the first curriculum we did at themanchurch.com, we have a curriculum called the Pursuit. In the first five weeks of that curriculum, anytime somebody says, "I don't think I want to do forty weeks. I just want to do, you know, maybe one." Is, what's the one I can't do without? Because we have different five-week ses- sessions on different topics. You know what I say? Identity. You got to know your identity. Because if you think your identity is anything but God, you'll never learn the rest of it. You got to know your identity, and for the redeemed. Our identity is in God. And then Peter closes what we'll end today. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's going to get the good news out with or without you or me. It's going forward. You might as well give up, give in, and submit, and be part of it. Because this is available to those of you that don't know it. But it's a, it's a, it's a really harsh reminder for, from Peter for those of us that claim to already know it. He's hollering to those of us out there in exile and, and, and sojourners and going through tough things or uncertain times. You know, He's saying, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God is. Be sure you have a whole new form of life. Hopefully you've rearranged everything that replicates a new life and says goodbye to the old and that new life maybe I know I've done it maybe we've been selling that new life a little low maybe we don't seem to look like we have a new life and maybe that's why people aren't drawn to it Peter says that's not the way that we were called to live let's pray Lord thank you for today Thank you for Peter and um, him getting this down. And thanks to Silas for, for writing it down for him. Um, Lord, just help us to be the people you've called us to be. And may we never forget these promises. Maybe there's someone right now that says, you know, I don't know how I found my way to this Bible study today. I'll tell you how you found your way here is God put you here. And there was something that you and I, not just you, but me too, were supposed to hear. I've heard some things. I have. And I hope you have too. But if there's something that God's awakened in you today and you need somebody to talk to, you, you can reach out to me, Rick, at rickandbubba.com. I'll help you any way I can. And like I say, I'm just a beggar that can tell you where the food is. And uh, for those of you that maybe need to make a decision today, something needs to be corrected in your relationship to the one and only living God. Maybe, maybe there were somewhere in this message today you say, ooh, right there, I, I need help. Right there, I'm off base. Will you correct that today? Just say, Lord, forgive me. And he will. If you're sincere in your heart and you repent, he will. Lord, I pray that you will continue to make me into the person that only you can. Maybe today there was a, an inspiration of, hey, you don't spend enough time in the Word of God. You don't, you don't have a love for it. Stop using the excuse that you can't understand it. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can understand it. If you still can't understand it and you've tried it, it may be a lack of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe there, you need to reassess your redemption. If that's the case, just say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I've had a hard time understanding. Things aren't opening up to me. I, sense, I don't sense I have your seed in my spirit. I, I sense my spirit is dead. Well, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, I can't do that. Only you can do that. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that his Father rose him from the dead on the third day, you repent of your sins, you'll be saved. Maybe there's never been a sincerity, but today there is. If that's the case, let me know how I can pray for you and connect you into what you need to do to continue to grow. Lord, thank you for the responsibility of this time together every week. And thank you, Lord, for the grace and the mercy and the love that you've shown us. And forgive us for the times that we act like that we don't love you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us uh, and look forward to talking to you next week as we continue our study in 1st Peter. Hey, this is Rick and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at burgessministries.com.